0: Welcome to another episode of the Lay Bear podcast, an audio experience designed to decode leadership and inspire action. Being a forward-thinking leader and game-changer, you've tuned in to discover pragmatic tips and hints on leadership from the very best leaders. Each episode is dedicated to sharing pragmatic stories from the field and, more importantly, real examples of what successful leaders are actually doing to deliver at pace. With so much to share, let's hand over to your host, Graham Wilson. With the need to innovate, transform, change and create new business models and ways of working, diversity of thought is a key element of successful leadership in today's world. With that in mind, I'm really excited to introduce today's guest leader, who has over two decades of experience working in the payment industry. He's held both executive and non-executive director roles in large corporates and smaller enterprises in North America, Asia and Europe and he's recently started his own payment advisory called Diversity in Payments, focusing on all parts of the payment ecosystem and developing outlier approaches to business opportunities. Additionally, over the last eight months, he's been traveling across the globe to speak to over two dozen payment leaders to get their opinion about the future of payments and in particular how diversity of thought is imperative to finding the right solutions. So a warm welcome to Will Curley. Hello, Will. Hello, Graham.
1: It's my pleasure to uh, to be here today. Also, Graham, so I I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, and um, I'm sure I'll learn uh, I'll I'll learn more than I'll be able to uh,
0: to share. So, so I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, really great to be with you. I'm really excited to share your ideas and listen to what you have around the world of leadership. Just so people can tune in and, and understand your journey so far. Tell us a little bit about what you've done so far, Will, and, and the insights and the ups and downs you've had around leadership.
1: I, I think I would uh, say that my my leadership career has been um diverse. Um and I was uh thinking about this question um when uh before we started. And uh I'll just I'll just yeah. take it through a little bit of a journey first to kind of uh, understand some of the diversity that's been evolved in it. But I, I probably started my my real leadership career um, as a branch manager in my mid-twenties. That was with about 12 teammates. Um, I then moved to a regional manager with considerably less people, actually, uh, only about four people on my team to start. Mm-hmm. I then took a, uh, an, advice, uh, an assistant vice president role, which was a country ride role uh, with a team of about 50 plus. From there, I moved to a corporate head office, which is a very different functional lead with a role uh, that had approximately 100 plus people within the team. Mm. I then uh, took a president role in Ireland with responsibility of a team of over 1,000 and expanded my uh, accountability to several countries within that role, within Europe. Mm. After leaving that role, I, uh, I took another corporate role with a team of approximately 50 plus with some tertiary accountabilities in I think about six other countries so really it's been a a a journey that's uh, watched me go from multiple multiple cultures and looking after teams of multiple sizes so that creates its Mm -hmm. own challenges and opportunities at the same time and um, I remember before I before I moved to Ireland I was uh, put through some cultural training. This was back in in 2008, and it was interesting to, uh, to go through the cultural training, just to understand the different thought processes of of different cultures. And oftentimes uh, some of the things I've read is that the more you think the culture is like your own, the more you may struggle within that culture sometimes, which I thought was a bit of an odd paradox, but sometimes I think you uh, you forget that uh, cultural norms can be different, even if oftentimes uh, you speak exactly the same language
0: That's um, or, uh, or 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 appear as though they are identical. It's so true, isn't it? We tend to get taught, don't we, at young age that you you should treat people the way that you want to be treated, but in fact you've got to understand the cultural aspects and the personality aspects and treat them the way that they want to be treated. So it's a big a big learning that. What are the other learning points along that journey, because it's a fantastic journey you've had and you know, lots of different experiences. What what would you say the key insights have been from a leadership point of view? Obviously, you mentioned culture there, but what other things are really important, do you think, from a leadership point of view? Well, I'm sure I could name a lot more than I will here, but, but, but just a few to think about
1: are, <laughs> sure. um, first of all, that uh, people are complicated um, and people's lives yeah. are more complicated than just work. And it's something you need to think about um, at all times. One of the things is when I moved to Ireland it was in 2008 at the start of the the uh the crisis and I lived in a small mm-hmm. town of about 2500 people and we employed close to 1200 people within that town so when the crisis hit um a lot of people were very concerned about not just their work but about their families and it was mm-hmm. uh, really my like first lesson in something of that size and scope and so you really do need to remember that uh, work is work, and you know it, it's a much more larger concern when you're in leadership roles that you need to consider. I think the other uh, a couple of the other ones are not everyone thinks the same way as you do, um, yep. and you uh, and what other people may feel is important may may not be what you feel is important. Um, so it is a mm-hmm. it is a negotiation. Um, a constant negotiation when you're in a leadership role. People's talents are manifold. Um, you need to create a space an environment that allows that talent to be displayed. And uh, yeah. when building teams, you really need to create activities that allow others to see people's talents. So it's not just important for you to understand whether people's talents are, but how do you display those to the entire team? And that's important because sometimes we see people at work who are very, very capable, but whose talents are not as visible as others. And oftentimes mm. teams will, you know, one or two particular stronger characters as the go-to people. If you can create opportunities for more people to shine, um, it helps spread the workload, but also increases the individual's feelings of contribution. And it relieves some of the, yeah. the pressure on, on you know, those go-to people um, and increases the teamwork across the, the entire environment. And that was something that I... That I, I think I, I spent quite a bit of time on uh, making sure that um, I was
0: cognizant of. How do you let people shine in? I think that's, I always talk about creating a positive team climate about focus, learning, opportunity, worth, and support, and that opportunity piece there, isn't it? Around giving people the opportunity to perform. What sort of tips and ideas and thoughts have you got to actually pragmatically allow that to happen?
1: So I have a probably a couple of go to. Um, Things that I that I that I've Mm. done. One is to remember that uh, you know the majority of people's time at work is focused on work, and is focused on their day job. And so we would uh, every couple of months, um, I'd like to do we'd like to do something as a as a team, working in conjunction as a team, and we'd rotate Mm. who actually led that that team activity um, between people. Um, that were on the team. So it might be right. um, it might be that uh, you'd have a, a core team of six people, they would develop um, how we were gonna approach a certain work problem um, or mm-hmm. frustration that we were having and they would develop what they, they would look like. And we generally go offsite mm-hmm. um, more often than not and we would do something that, uh, that would be focused on this work problem but we would do it in a way that was slightly different than just sitting at your desk or just in a group meeting. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of times it was building activities, but it would be created by those six individuals. And what you'd find is a lot of it would be role playing or it might be like uh, particular games, or it might just be, you know, everybody sits down um, in this different groups that you don't generally, um, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't generally be in. And what it allowed me to find out was that, you know, people have so many more talents that that you would never yeah. recognize if you just have them sitting in a meeting or you just have them sitting in a uh, at their computer. Um, so this allowed people to use some of their wider talents, um, and I found out that there, mm. there's quite a few quite a few talented actors in in uh, just about every team I've ever been part of, and yeah. what that would do is yeah. would allow personalities to come out in a different way than they would generally, or normally, um, in a in a forced work setting, per se. The other thing that mm. I, I thought was always relatively important is getting together as a group to discuss what was the priorities. And you might do this mm. once a week, you might do this once a month, um, but it wouldn't be led by me, and it wouldn't be led by even people that might, uh, might um, directly be reporting into me. It will be led by different people again throughout the team. And it just allows people to understand both the complexity of people's jobs and what they're dealing with, but it also allows people Mm -hmm. to see just how intelligent everyone is about what it is that they're doing and gives them a different form to describe that um, in maybe a different way. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that Mm -hmm. there's many different ways of communication happen because oftentimes you know if you're just doing short form conversations then the only people that will shine mm-hmm. in that environment are that are good at short form conversations so it's really about creating yeah. activities in space that uh that allow others to express who they
0: are um in ways that allow us to mm-hmm. give greater appreciation. I love that, Will. I, as you know, I do lots of team building and take teams on journeys over you know, long periods of time. And, and it's always amazing when we start, actually, they they call themselves a team, but they never actually do any work together. Basically, a group of individuals doing a collective work package that that delivers the results. I think that's a wonderful idea, that is to actually give people the opportunity to come together as a team and then solve some real real challenges and look at priorities, But but then rotate the the leadership role, I suppose, that shared leadership role to see people perform. I think that's a great, great, great idea. Yeah.
1: And and it was often less about even solving the business problem than it was in, in mm-hmm. trying to build appreciation for the skill sets of uh, more people on the team. It's so easy to just focus on just a core group of people or people that are most figured out
0: how to. Work a particular system. One of the things that, that struck me there, and it's really interesting that you say that about the opportunity. One of the things that I've heard a lot of leaders talk about in the present situation, obviously with the the crisis and uh, the the strange world we live in now, is that they've been really shocked about who stepped up and who hasn't. And and on reflection, what we're what we're discussing was around the fact that so many of the so-called great leaders in the business are actually really fantastic managers and they were fantastic at managing the status quo and getting great results hitting all the KPIs but when the crisis hit a lot of them actually stepped back and it was people at uh, people were surprised who stood up into the leadership roles and they thought course well, we don't want a crisis to uh, give people the opportunity to shine but it isn't interesting isn't it how When people have the opportunity, they will step up. And and sometimes that shocks you about where the talent is and where the future is and who you should be investing in. Yeah,
1: I I think that the vast majority of assessment systems are quite flawed. It it would be hard to believe that most people, it would be hard to believe that, that most people's intelligence levels and passion isn't closer connected than we sometimes believe and it Mm. can purely be just the setting environment they're in that predicts how often we'll be able to see that and so most assessment measures are almost one-dimensional two-dimensional at best and if you're really going to understand how to get the most out of everyone and to get
0: superior result. And we do need to think about assessment uh, systems in a very different way. Yeah, I think I totally agree with that. I love that idea about giving people the opportunity to perform and looking at mechanisms to actually do that. And I think the team aspect is great. What, what other insights would you say have being key to your success? I think one of the other ones is
1: uh, sometimes the people who are least like you create the most value for you as a leader. Sometimes we mm. locked into thinking a certain way, and the value of your opposite is in a persec- in a perspective you would never have thought of. But this is so difficult for most leaders because mm. if your energy is down at all, it can be very very hard to spot. And mm. oftentimes, you know, we're we're creating again settings and situations that we think are efficient by reducing the amount of difference that we include when. The actual truth is that if we included more of that difference we'd get to the answers quicker and i think that's something we really need to focus on more
0: than uh perhaps is happening today how, how do you balance that Will, with you know i'm a big fan of, of diversity of thought as well and valuing difference and, and building a team around you who who are different than you that complement and, and have a complementary set of skills but how do you balance that with that collaboration that discussion and that that challenge of of leading a diverse group of people with actually delivering results here and now?
1: Yeah, and I think there's a few few things that I think are important. First of all, you have to recognize you're going to make mistakes. Every leader is going to make mistakes. Yeah. It's really important that you're genuine. So you have to be honest. You have to admit it. You know, pride before the fall and all that is very, very true. So I think yeah. that, you know, first of all, recognize you're going to make some mistakes on that, on that front is really, really important. And then secondly, I think that as you're going through and thinking about what your business needs to do, oftentimes I think that we think activity is the same as action. And that if we spend Mm -hmm. a little bit more time in conversation, that we would actually get to more action, maybe less activity, but more action. So I think, you know, go slow to go Mm -hmm. fast is something to remember. The other one I would mention is that, and I'm sure I can mention many more, but you know, anyone that's been in a leadership role will know how humbling it it absolutely is. But I think that you know, candor is rare, and it can often feel like mm. a real try to mold the team. Um, and likability is not the number one requirement. So um, good yeah. teams are often up to a challenge, and it's your job to to uh, you know bring that challenge. Want well to ensure and you build the runways that enable people to, to succeed. So I think that if you're remembering what you're actually trying to achieve try to keep your energy levels up and remember that you have to have honest conversations mm-hmm. and honest conversations do not need to be hard truths that's not what candor should be about honest conversations should be just exactly what they are
0: honest conversation it's really interesting we, we do a lot with sport and one of the things that I, I noticed in the business they talk about courageous conversations or fierce conversations and in sport they just say it's an honest conversation <laughs> i think that's an interesting fact isn't it That it's not about having challenging conversations, it's just having an honest conversation isn't it, around you're either performing or not, and if you're not, then what, what can we do about it? I think that's uh-huh. an interesting insight really into the language that we have in, in organizations.
1: I, I'd be interesting to get your to get some more thoughts on that. I, I've i often used sports as a bit of an analogy for a team. Now, part of the reason for that is it's, it's slightly more obvious in sport than it is in business because most most sports are, are are team oriented, but the culture within teams, I find, uh, or in sports teams, I find, is is actually often more inclusive. And mm. what you'll find on a team is you'll have this incredibly good, uh, maybe offensive player. You'll have an incredibly good defensive player. You'll have what what we call it in in uh, Canadian hockey, you know, the pest on the team. You know, the person that's slightly irritating everybody else on the other teams. You know, there's there's a, very, a varying amount of roles within that. And the championship teams often do allow a broader uh, spectrum of behaviors, I think, that sometimes we allow in corporate worlds. When you're dealing with sports teams, whether they be male mm-hmm. or female, do you find that same
0: dynamic exists? I think it's interesting is sport, first of all, it is different, isn't it? It is different than, than business. So the context is slightly different. I think the thing that comes out with me, the difference I see with sport and business is absolute sense of clarity in sport. We know our roles. We know what we need to do. We know what we're trying to achieve from a vision point of view. I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes in business, it's a bit messier. Not really sure, you know, what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, you know, I, I talk to many leaders, and I say to them, you know, what's what's the strategy of the business, or what's the purpose, or what's the the mission or vision, or whatever language they're using in their business, and and people find it hard to articulate that. You go into a sports team, and it's simple: is that clarity and simplicity. I think is is key. So, yeah, I remember, um, was it the rowing team that pinched the concept from Formula One, which is if it makes the car go faster, then we do it. And in in rowing, I think it was a, the GB rowing team had that mantra, which was. If it'll make the boat go faster, then it's something that we should do. And that was their sole decision-making process. And, you know, in business, it's so political, isn't it, and, and challenging and hierarchical, and you need 5,000 people to sign it off and things like that. Whereas I think in, in sport, I think it can be a lot simpler. Um, I think we make business too complicated. And, and do you think that – because I think you're absolutely right. Clarity of goal
1: should be a priority. Yeah. Um, that often um i think is lost and people mm-hmm. want so much better when there's a clarity around that goal um, one of the popular things that mm-hmm. uh we said at least um 10 years ago was around ambiguity and the and the um and the ability to deal with ambiguity and, and i've often thought that ambiguity mm-hmm. centered around maybe the outcome not necessarily on where you're trying to get to and mm. you can always reassess the goal as you're going through it. But if, we, if we're if we not certain of what that goal is,
0: then the communication completely changes. We end up with different goals, don't we? And I think, I think the other aspect of sport, which I think I've seen happen a lot, I, I know some organizations are really good at using data, uh, but the problem we have with data is we can get too much data and not use it correctly or we get the wrong data. And I think in sport, they're really good at getting performance data. Mm-hmm. So, rather than looking at the outcome, you know, whether we win the match or not, they just have a, a really good system in place and a framework in place to really analyze, right down to, like, you know, one of my passions is rugby, and we work with quite a few different rugby teams and you know, international coaches. And they know, for example, ball in play time and the fitness levels, and even down to, They tackle someone and how quickly they get off the ground and back again and and they use that data really, really well to be able to then drive performance going forward. So I think I think that's another difference as well is that they've almost like decoded what they need to do to be successful and then they work backwards from that and say, well, okay, well, if in order to be uh, successful, we need we need players to be able to do this. So was it the German was it a German football team when they won the World Cup they it was like it took them 4 years to their vision of football was to play this one touch football but they weren't fit enough to be able to play one touch football so they they went out and and looked who was the fittest team in Germany at the time and I think it was the field hockey team Right. So then analyze what is it that the field hockey team do to get fit? And then they almost like took them four years because they all had the skills to be able to do one touch football, but they just didn't have the the physical capability to be able to do that. And then when, by the time they got to the the World Cup championships, they were fit enough to be able to play out the strategy that they need to do to be successful. And we don't think like that in business. We don't think no. about that longer term. It's about what you know, are we hitting our KPIs this week, this month, you know, even down to this hour sometimes. and we don't tend to think about uh, what's the strategy the at the moment my team is here but i need my team to be here to be successful and it, it'd be very interesting to go into organizations and challenge leaders and go well, what's your team strategy what's your team development strategy and they look at you blankly oh we get we get together we have the offsite once a year or we do this and but there's not really a, a thought through people's strategy for like, like in terms of ownership of the leader of that team say so, well I need my team to be operating at this level of performance. I know what the performance criteria is, and I have a strategy in place to to get my team from where it is now to to where it needs to be. Yeah, that might be recruiting more people, or it might be developing people into different roles, or making sure everyone's playing to position. And we tend not to do that. So I think we can learn a lot from from sport. I know sport learns a lot from business as well. So it's 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 there are some fundamentals there which are a lot different that we could learn from. So I think. Clarity, simplicity and performance will be the, the sort of key things, I would say.
1: Well, well, there's there's one other one. I think about the uh, Canadian women's um, hockey team, who's won just about every gold medal at the Olympics since mm. um, the inception. And one of the things, obviously, is they had the clarity of goal, but Canada always had always had the best system also. So the best processes mm. in place So everyone, yeah, yeah. you know, knows what they need to do. To contribute to that team success and mm-hmm. more than more than any other um of the women's hockey teams canada was always better at um mm-hmm. having a process in place so you yeah, know yep. they weren't more fit they um they didn't have any different in the clarity but they did have a better process in place so so mm-hmm. that that's why they would always win and i think that mm-hmm. uh that's another piece but I, I think about school too in terms of you know, sometimes people do extremely well in school, and, and some of that is about the clarity of action you're trying to do, and then at the same time, you know exactly what steps need to be followed, and then you have a very clear outcome at the end of it. And you'll see a lot of people will be able to be to do that and follow that through extremely well. Um, and there's varying degrees of that based on how different people learn. So, so I just think that that's another example of thinking about. You know, how can we widen out different disciplines and and how they are, how people are achieving success within those, um, and then on your back more and more
0: often to the actual business environment. I think you made a a point a while ago around the difference between action and and being busy. I think it was, I think you used a different phrase, but we, we get, as leaders, don't we, it's very easy to get caught up into the organizational system and, back-to-back meetings and and being busy, but not really being effective. You can be really efficient, can't you? doing the wrong things and and I think one one of the things I've sort of come across is it's the level of thinking and level of dialogue that leaders actually have. So Mm. in, in sport it's very clear to understand what what good looks like and uh, a, a example of that, right down to the basics of you know I, when I sort of coaching leaders I'll say to them so you've got this really important meeting coming up what, what have you done to prepare for it and I'll say to them so what outcomes are you looking for or how do you want people to feel at the end of the meeting and they they don't really think about that they just go for the standard agenda wing it and then wonder why no one's actually bought in or inspired to actually do anything about it and they don't they don't start their thinking process by saying well okay well this is this is a really expensive meeting. I lots of senior people in this meeting. It's really important. We've got some real issues meeting to sort And by the end of the meeting, I want people to be able to leave this meeting and go and do this or feel like this or say this and and then work backwards from that to then create a, as you say, a process that's going to get us to to the outcome. It it never seems to happen like that. It's more me rushed from meeting to meeting, standard mm-hmm. agendas, you know, any other business at the end. And so I think I think it is about I think you mentioned that that key point around to speed up by slowing down, I think was a phrase, wasn't it? Is that as leaders, we tend not to do that. We get caught up in the business hamster wheel.
1: And listen, I, I know for a fact that I have done that more than a few times. Um, and, yeah, And yeah, uh, very <laughs> easy to get trapped in it. Now, now, I used to be a big fan of this gentleman. Um, I'm not such a huge fan of him now as I once was. But, but Jack Welch once said, uh, lack of candor is the, biggest dirty little secret in business um mm-hmm. he said it blocked smart ideas fast action and good people contributing all the stuff um that they're good at i would yeah. say if your business has a ton of activity but is slow to produce the desired results yeah. i'm betting you have a candor problem you know and, and i've lived in in four countries and had responsibilities in eight more uh, and the appreciation for candor particularly for the people who are doing the work is exactly the same no um, one wants to waste yeah, your time yeah. on things, it won't happen. And teams ha, um, teams will know bullshit every time they hear it. Um, and you yeah, can't yeah. Your, 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 your business is success and you won't have satisfied yeah. teams if they feel the, uh, the pressure to pretend. And I think oftentimes mm-hmm. what happens is we go into meetings recognizing that there'll be some particular dance that you need to perform yeah. versus having an honest conversation. And what happens in that yeah, dance yeah. is think about okay well you know mary you know mary will need this and bob bob needs to hear this and and um you know we need to go to jail before the meeting to get her on side and you know so so there's more about trying to to have that dance and there is about okay how do we get into a real conversation Mm -hmm. um versus uh versus oftentimes what is is uh
0: more pretend conversation in my mind that's so true and I've heard um, some teams where they have a meeting before they have the board meeting so the senior management team will get together and, and discuss what they're going to say and oh you can't tell them that or you can't say that or that's that's too brutal or they'll they'll fly off the handle if you say that and then again that's just absolutely crazy isn't it and this this whole concept where we we don't really value conflict or we don't value that candor, that challenge and I always talk about you know, the role of leaders really is to create a high performance environment where success is inevitable and you've got to be able to describe what a high performance environment looks like in your context. And going back to our sporting analogy as well, I think in sport, you can't hide the data's there, the results there, the video's there. Uh, and I think in business, we can hide a little bit and we tend to try and work the system, don't we? But we need to create these more open, don't we? And an honest Uh, environments where where we we can feel comfortable to say what we really think and feel and and we might not be right but at least we've got that trust in place to be able to say what we feel is right with the right intent and I think that's uh that's a challenge for all of us in it to actually change the culture of our organizations to be able to create that what I call a high performance environment you you see so many businesses don't you where they they call it a so-called high performance but actually it's just a a country club it's it's cozy everyone loves each other high fives and bean bags and free food and all that stuff but actually it's not you know it's not a high performance culture uh, it's just a a nice culture a pleasant culture a, you know a great place to work sort of type culture
1: well uh, I, I, would even, I would even refute that it's a that's a nice and great place to work culture i think a lot of times those cultures are suppressing quite a few people versus mm-hmm. allowing them to to be more genuine. That's true. That's and true. You, you see a lot of that in terms of you know the way certain cultures are built. This is what our culture looks like. This is how we describe it. Here's our cultural imperatives. You know, which almost by definition is reductive. Mm. Um, it's not inclusive at all. So, yeah. so I think a lot of times people confuse those cultures being friendly or more open yeah. when the reality is is that it is very difficult to allow. Difference to come through Mm -hmm. because oftentimes what you think is a right behavior or the right way of doing something is merely your own opinion and the way that you may want to look at something. But there's other people that you're surrounded by that will view that differently, will have a different style to that, will have a different approach. And so, if you really want to look at ideas and you're debating ideas and not people. Then you need to allow um, you need to allow that to come to the surface by giving people the opportunity to communicate in different styles, um, approach it in a different style, to um, you know flourish in, in what makes them comfortable. Yeah. But including that again is is viewed as inefficient, mm. which is why we have a lack of diversity, in my opinion, is yeah. that we believe that efficiency is by shorthand. Yeah. Everybody knows exactly what that person's saying. This is the way we speak. This is the way we communicate. Okay,
0: let's crack on. Let's start mm-hmm. more activity. Yeah. But, but it doesn't always lead to outcome. So it's a challenge. It's so true that I mean, we, we tend to make that worse, don't we? By by creating a a system that drives you know that that behavior, that wrong behavior, where. You know, we have a very strong set of values that almost like dictates um, how you should operate, and um, we have policies and things. I don't things like performance management systems that make it worse, don't they? And you know, we 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 really value collaboration as a value, but then we we measure people individually and reward them individually. So we're creating these these systems that are in conflict with each other, aren't we? That that then drives the wrong behaviour, and then we we then blame the people for behaving badly because That's because exactly they're not right. behaving the way that we want them to. That's right. I I mean, and again, one of the reasons I'm not a huge
1: fan of Jack Wilson, I know you and I have mentioned this before, is 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 his management assessment system um, around the what and 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 the how. Yeah. um, I I think again was was very reductive and was was really more based on employment law than it Mm. was necessarily on creating creating the best systems for people to work within and so i think it's i think it's imperative that we we do take a look at those assessment systems and mm. recognize that personality types all respond to to stimuli in different ways mm. and it's really trying to create an atmosphere that reduces the tension mm. of being and only will you get the very best responses and reactions from people if they feel comfortable in being who they are. Absolutely. The moment that you add on that extra pressure of, okay, I'm going to say this. How exactly do I need to say it? How much time am I giving am, am mm. I going to be given to say that? Mm. And if I disagree with something, then I'll be viewed as I don't like to change mm. or or um you know what, oh, the person's always in the room and they're always disagreeing with everything. Right, yeah. and we're not utilizing that person's talent to understand. Okay, that person will make us ask questions we never would have otherwise. Yeah, and and oftentimes, you know, people that are viewed as not being able to make change or to be able to change, we're not really looking at the idea, mm. and the problem with the idea, we've decided, no, it's the person. Let's keep going with the idea. It's very interesting, and. and and the more the more you learn about the subject, the more complex it becomes.
0: Yeah. I I was thinking as you were talking now while around, I was just thinking about a couple of situations. One was I was remember working with the sales team who were having a tough time and they had a choice. They could either reduce their salary or reduce the type of car that they had as part of their package. Uh, and they all chose to um, keep the car and reduce the salary. And I was really amazed. I'm thinking, yeah. What what? I was really shocked about their response, and and of course, yeah, their car, of course, is their their status symbol on the driveway where they live, and that's what they were protecting was their ego. And it, sometimes, yeah, these responses don't they? They really really shock you. And when you start to look at organisational systems, I always I have a feeling that we we create these systems that that actually restrict performance. So we have a performance management system in place, and we have all these KPIs, and and we all know, don't we, that when KPIs are linked to bonuses, then people set KPIs based on what they know they can go and hit so so we're really actually reducing uh, the actual performance and people hold back don't they and carry forward and all and they work the system so I'm with you on that is really how do we create a freer way of you know how do we loosen off organizational structures and systems and policies and procedures and and really start to trust people to really get on uh, with their job and say look here's here's the direction here's what we're trying to achieve now let me remove the barriers that are going to stop you from being successful and then and then trusting people to get on with it and yeah i see so many meetings that are are just update meetings and again why do i need to know what people have done yeah what i need to know is what's stopping them from being successful uh, and then move forward in that way so i think it's fascinating it is complex though isn't it and the whole when you look at it as a system it is very complex but i think because we're so busy we don't have chance to stop and slow down and really think and reflect having said that i think the the uh the crisis the covid crisis has actually started organizations to do that though isn't it to stop and think about things
1: yeah i, I hope that's true I, I haven't i haven't actually been part of a corporation since mm. um since covid started so i'm not exactly sure um, how everyone's responding to it mm. um oftentimes the beginning of these the reflection starts um and then the habit begins so i am hoping that people are recognizing that it is a real chance to to look at things differently, not not just in the fact that we can work from home more often, Mm -hmm. but even in the multifaceted uh, ways of communicating um, Mm -hmm. the different tools to do that. I mean, there's so many things we should be able to learn from that. And I'm hoping that that companies are building on it. You know, we do need to recognize that that ideas should be should be more easily released um, than people. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I think we find it sometimes easier to do is to hold on to the idea um, and remove the people. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's a real danger to businesses because it's that's an indication to everyone throughout that business mm-hmm. um, when you start changing when you start changing the people. So the loyalty aspect, the safety aspect, which is the the first very core nature of
0: being able to to feel comfortable and be yourself yeah. around the safety mechanisms in there. Absolutely. So, I've seen that in sport where a, one of the coaches we work with is Phil Davis. And one thing he talks about when he took over Namibia as a national coach, all the execs had contracts, but none of the players had contracts. So one of the first things he did was to, to make that, you know, psychological safety aspect, wasn't it? Which is to make sure they got contracts before that would run right. up to the world cup and, and that then save them that safety blanket. If you're like, well, at least, at least I've got, you know, I'm employed and I'm getting some income for the next few years until the world cup. And once you remove that out of the way and you make it safe for people, then it's amazing what they'll do for you. But we, yeah, how many, how many, how many people have got KPIs around trust or safety or things like that? And and we, we do tend to, to measure the wrong things. What, what's, um, what would you, if you were to summarize what you look for in a leader, will what would be the sort of top three or four or five things that you, you really value in a, in a leader?
1: Well, I think, you know, first of all, I think authenticity, Mm. Um, I, I want someone who brings their personality to work and allows everyone else to do the same. Yeah, and I know for myself, if I can't be myself, I'll feel constrained um, and undervalued, and that mm. leads directly to frustration. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, once I once I move into frustration, it's very very difficult for me to to to, to be able to give my best performance. Mm. Um. And a lot of that comes from, you know, if I have to, um. If I have to perform in exactly this type of fashion, then um, then then I'll then I won't find that to be ideal. And, and I've worked in large corporates and I've worked in smaller organizations and and have obviously been able to um, um, to work well within those and and achieve some type of success from it. So it's not that I can't get into those, but the more they get tightened around a certain focal point then then that can become frustrating so yeah. so often this deal allow that allows me to be myself because they are themselves um that's a really big deal i think the second thing is um i, I am looking for a certain amount of of trust building mm. i think that you need to have trust with people that ultimately have a very big impact on not just your work life but your personal life mm-hmm. i mean you know regardless of how much any one individual makes generally it's a hundred percent of what they make mm. so you know you might look at someone and says well you know somebody makes you know a million dollars a year a million pounds a year somebody makes you know forty thousand pounds a year and you will think well that person that's making a million pounds a year they have a lot more at risk well well, no they don't really mm. probably have a lot risk to be fair um and so you know the trust aspect of of um being able to be very clear about that you're in it together. Yeah. Uh, allows people to take some chances and not have to take that some amount of risk of, you know, I, I don't want to lose my job because I, I need it for my entire family. So yeah. You can build trust with is really important. Um and then lastly, for me it very much is someone's able to understand people that are different than mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. And they can really get to the heart of someone and understand their value, even if it's not in the exact package that they may be in, then, then you know, you can actually build a relationship of of uh, mutual respect. Yeah, and I think that, 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 that those are probably the three that are most important for me
0: when, when I see when I see um, leaders that I that I work well with. Mm, fantastic. It's some great insights. There. I was just looking at the notes I've made now. As I think there's loads and loads of insights, giving people the opportunity to perform. You know, getting your team together to real solve real challenges, diversity of thought, shared leadership, discussing priorities, authenticity, trust building, and understanding people are different. And this whole thing around honest conversations and candor are, are key things in, in a leadership situation. How do um, people find out about you, Will, and, and what are you up to next? Because obviously you're on your next step in your journey as a leader.
1: So I um, I actually just embarked on a, for the last eight months, on a, a project that was really just a passion project for me. And pre-COVID was, a, was an excuse to, to travel the world. Mm. So I traveled um, to North America, all over Europe, Asia, and Asia, speaking to payment leaders um, about what they thought was going on in the uh in the future of payments, but also about how they were including diversity of thought to help build out what um, what I'll call a bit of a payment revolution or or maybe it's just an evolution. So I've been doing that for the last eight months. I recently started my own payment advisory called the, unsurprisingly, diversity of payments. Okay. And um, I am uh, going to begin to do some posting on LinkedIn and, and uh, on the Women in Banking and Finance explaining some of uh
0: some of what I learned on that on that experience. That sounds absolutely fantastic and obviously I'll put the the links for LinkedIn and your your uh, details on the the show notes so people can have those Mm but it's been fantastic well and I I love the concept of diversity of thought and I think we both had a conversation before aren't we around the importance of that going forward particularly in today's world and it's a really exciting opportunity for leaders to to really stop and think about what what they're doing and how they're doing and how they're behaving and start to change that and change their ways of working so a big thank you we could talk for hours couldn't we about leadership and and stuff so thanks for your time will and it's been a pleasure i'm sure we can we can talk more in the future
1: i will make sure that we do uh talk for graham because i i am um i'm fascinated by the subject i recently started taking uh, my master's um with a uh with a focus on leadership and um you know, it, it's, it's- rounded out some of what i thought and actually uh killed a few myths that i thought were true also at the same time so, yeah. so it's not something you'll ever get to be perfect at um it's a real journey and yeah. uh the opportunity to speak to uh someone like you is uh is very educational and, and and helps round out um a lot of what i've been thinking so i appreciate the opportunity today um and i'll appreciate
0: the uh the friendship going forward wonderful it's been fantastic will thank you very much for your time thank you graham a big thank you for listening to the Leadship Laid Bear podcast with me, Graham Wilson. For more information on our guest leader and to find out how we can support you, check out the links in the description and look out for our next leadership podcast. Remember, leadership is all about taking action. Make sure you connect and apply the lessons learned. Have fun and bye for now.